0: Well, a tremendous Tuesday afternoon. How are you? Welcome to the Jason Greger Show on Sports 1440, brought to you by playalberta.ca, where you can, of course, uh, get in the game. All of the, uh, if you haven't tried the boost bets and the prop bets, they have them all for the NHL season, which begins today. The NHL is back. Also, 12 million up for grabs for a lot of max. So you can get your uh, tickets at playalberta.ca. I am uh, Jason Greger. Brandon Douglas filling in today for uh, Connor Halley. Now, I don't know if Halley's quote, sick or if he's just skipping so he can watch the three NHL games. Uh, Knowing the con man, uh, something tells me he's rarely sick because I can't recall the last day that uh, he missed a show. But uh, he's not here today, and uh, he's hoping to be back tomorrow. Nashville, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh. Hosting Chicago and then Seattle and Vegas. Those are the three games today. First one gets going at around, well, let's be real. It'll be closer to uh, 345 our time. The Edmonton Oilers will be on a plane if they're not already on the plane. I think they might be uh, taking off right now as they fly to Vancouver today to get set to take on the flu ridden Vancouver Canucks. The uh, flu bug has uh, spread through that organization, and uh, they'll have to decide tomorrow. Uh, they might have to make some recalls from Abbotsford if they've got some guys under the weather. We'll see. Uh, also, Connor Garland has been given permission to seek a trade. So uh, Connor Garland, who was part of that Oliver ekman Larson deal many years ago, uh, basically uh, they took Garland and Oliver ekman Larson and dumped off a lot of guys on one year remaining on their contract. And uh, Oliver ekman Larson got bought out. And now, looks like uh, Connor Garland's not overly happy in Vancouver and is looking for another opportunity. So, we'll see. He's making uh, $4.95 million for the next two seasons. And in a cap-strapped league, that's a tough contract to trade. Right, there's not a lot of teams that uh, that have the cap space. So then they look and say, okay, well, if we're going to make the trade... We're going to have to trade out $4.9 million for Vancouver to take. Is that going to be any good players? We'll see. Now, Buffalo, although I doubt they're interested. Anaheim, they got a lot of money. Would they be interested? I don't know. Nashville can afford them and not have to get back to 4.9. Same with Arizona, but we'll see. So uh, not a great start. For the Vancouver Canucks, we'll see if the Edmonton Oilers can take advantage. It will be the number one power play from last year against the worst penalty kill of last season, Vancouver versus Edmonton. That's a storyline. Ryan McLeod, we can tell you for sure, he will be playing tomorrow. Ekholm and Kulak, I think. I just can't say 100% if uh, they will be playing. So the Oilers tomorrow are either going to play 11-7 or 11-6. If one of those two defensemen isn't ready, they can't recall anyone. They don't have another healthy body. They don't have any cap space to recall anyone. Obviously, Kulak or Ekholm, if they're not ready tomorrow, wouldn't be going on LTIR to free up any cap space because they'd be ready for Saturday. So it'll be either 11-6 and six or 11-7 and seven. tomorrow. The Lions, no surprise. McDavid, Kane, Brown, Drysdale, Nugent, Hopkins, and Hyman. McLeod with Fogel and Holloway. And then Yan, Mark, and Ryan as your two Extra forwards. Uh, Mark uh, Marcus Uh He's injured. He did skate today. He was on the ice, and he is getting closer. Once he is cleared, then he'll get put on waivers, and uh, he either uh, clears waivers or gets claimed. Either way, uh, he'll be off the uh, off the orders roster, and then they would be able to uh, bring in another Ford and have at least twelve, and then you'd have one extra body. 12 forwards, seven defensemen, two goalies. So to me, now who would that be? I know there was a lot of concern. It's amazing to me. Now I love the I love the passion of the fan base in Edmonton. But there are people that really overrate. Young players. And most of them are overrating them and they haven't even seen them. They're like, oh, I watched him two times in preseason. God, Raphael Lavois is a can't miss prospect now. There's no chance this guy can go on waivers. It'll be the worst decision in history. Why? We said it. What did we say on Friday? I said talking to uh, scouts from other teams. I thought it was a low chance he would get claimed. And and you know what? For Raphael Lavois. For people who say, well, they should have waived Yanmark and not even taken the chance. Why? Because they see Yanmark as helping your team more. Raphael Lavois doesn't kill penalties. He's going to play on your fourth line. How many minutes is he going to play? Now, you could, pra- I guess he could practice a lot with you and maybe get a little bit better there because of the pace of practice. But ultimately, you want a guy like that playing games. And I'd much rather have him in the American League. Like Raphael LeVaugh, no question, had a really good four-month stretch last year. Really good. But now he has the opportunity to turn that into six, eight, ten months of really good AHL hockey. And if he does it, guess what? Then it opens the eyes of other people to say, okay, it's not just a a good second half of a season. It'll be a good full year. It would strengthen his chance in the orders organization and just look at the orders roster like Warren Fogle right now is their third line right winger is Warren Fogle going to be here next year at 2.75 I'd be surprised now he might be here at 1.8 if he wants to take a a pay cut to stay in Edmonton I think that would happen but not at that number so if he's not here there's an opening spot now Raphael Lavoie and Xavier Borgo are the two young right wingers in the organization. And they would hope that one of them would be ready next year. Orders are going to be a cup contending team again next season, so I don't see them having two rookie right wingers in the lineup. I just don't see how it's how it's plausible. So, you know, Raphael Lavoie requires waivers next year. Borgo doesn't. If all things are even, guess what? Lavois will get the longer look. But he's got to go down the American. And if I'm Raphael Lavois. My first meeting with Coach Chalk, I'm going to say, what can I do to get on the penalty kill? We know he's going to be on the power play, but look, Xavier Borgo was on the penalty kill this year in the preseason. He's going to be on the penalty kill in the minors. If I'm Raphael Lavoie, I am sitting in on every penalty kill meeting because the truth is very few guys on good cup contending teams get to start in the top six. It's extremely rare. Jake Gunsel, so yeah, he came up halfway through the year. It can happen. But Pittsburgh didn't have a lot of proven top six guys that year. Right? If the orders bring back the same top six next year, well, it's hard to knock out Hyman or Brown out of the top six. It just is. Now, we don't know for sure if Brown will be signed next year. There's lots of time between then and now. But Raphael Lavoie has to look at this season as one where he plays well enough that he gets recalled during the year. And then... If not, he plays well enough that next year when he comes to camp, if he doesn't make the team, he gets claimed on waivers because he didn't do enough to entice any one of the other 31 teams to claim him on waivers last year. Why? Because he has no NHL experience. Even if he gets five NHL games, people are like, okay, this guy's got something. He's played in the NHL. It helps. Whether you like it or not, it helps. But I I do think there's people that need to pump the brakes on the overreaction. Oh, my goodness, this is the worst move. What a terrible risk. Why? And if Nima Linen, even if Nima is healthy, they might have done it. Because is it the best thing for Raphael Lavoie? I think if they had 13 or 14 forwards, then they would have kept him. Because that's what you do, right? You have a few extra guys, you practice, you go in on the lineup, no problem. But when you only have 12... You could put him in the lineup all the time. And I know people say, well, why not just start him here? Yeah, but what if he loses his confidence? Right? He comes in here, does nothing for two months. Oh, now you're going to send him down to the minors. He's got no confidence. What's he really learned? Wouldn't you rather send a guy to the minors, have him play great, and then when he gets recalled, he comes in with a boatload of swagger and a boatload of confidence, and he's like, okay, I'm ready to roll. And that's where I see the situation. So... We'll uh, we'll touch on that today. Also on the show, we got a loaded lineup for you. Uh, Ted Nolan, former NHL coach, uh, will join us. Got a book out. And uh, interesting for them, some of you maybe you don't remember, but Ted Nolan, he was the uh, head coach of the year in the National Hockey League and then didn't coach again. All right. Um, Why? What happened? So we will... uh, uh, the book title is A Life in Two Worlds, A Coach's Journey from the Reserve to the NHL and Back. So uh, Ted Nolan will join us in about uh, 10 minutes time today. Also, we'll hear from uh, DVD. Uh, Sean Brown, as always, our uh, regular Tuesday co-host. Uh, Dave McCarthy will be by. NHL regular season is here, baby. I got a question that I want the texters to get to. We'll get to our Chief Lube Lubin box in a second. Struddy will be by. Spec uh, James Cebalski. We got a loaded, loaded show for you. If you're an NFL fan, specifically a Vikings or a fantasy football owner, Mr. Jefferson is out four weeks. Probably hurt your fantasy team a little bit. Yikes. Good luck if you lost Jefferson. We'll see. So here's my question to you. Did you know, here's a little fun stat for the day. Brandon Douglas, were you aware that since 2013-14, when the NHL... Has the current wild card format. Do you know how many new teams, minimum, make the playoffs every year? Teams that were out the year before, but are now in the next year. Like a per year average? Uh, well, minimum. 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 Three. Five. Oh. Five. Yes, I know a lot of people are like, oh, really? That many? Yeah, five. Remember last year, Vegas was one of them because they missed the playoffs in twenty two. You had Seattle, New Jersey. Those teams, they had a 40-point improvement from the year before. So when you make your your season-long prognostications, kind of keep in mind, because it's hard sometimes, like, well, which team is going to fall out? On average, it's minimum five every year. Some years, there's been six. One year, there was seven. But there's five every year. I only had four uh, new ones this year, so... Either I'm under, it'll be uh, the first time, or I completely missed the boat. And you know what? After I saw that stat, I started looking and said, okay, well, this team could miss. Oh, I could see how this team misses. So I have the Islanders, Boston, Seattle, and Winnipeg out. I have Calgary, Vancouver, Buffalo. And uh, who's the other team I have in? Oh, man. can't even remember my own picks. That's pretty embarrassing. But um Pittsburgh. That's the other team I have uh, back in the postseason. So my question to you is if the trend is five, name the five teams you think won't make the playoffs this year who made it last year. Text us in our Jiffy Lube inbox, 833-401-1440, or you can email us, gregor at sports1440.ca, Brandon at sports1440.ca. Hey, Gregor, LaVoie can walk next year. You know that, right? DK. DK, I don't know that because it's untrue. He's an RFA next year. What are you talking about, my man? Right? Now, I'd have to look. Are you saying, now, does he qualify? Is he a group six free agent? I don't think he would. Maybe. I thought he'd have to have more games played at that point. Well, i will have to double check that. But if LaVoie walks next year, so what? What does that mean? He just went unclaimed by every team in the league. They could have taken him for nothing. And they didn't. Like Raphael Laval might become a good NHL player. I don't rule it out. But those suggesting that it's a lock are based that on nothing factual. It's based on hope at this point. And order fans from 2010 to 2015 will tell you that hope often leads to disappointment. H-O-P-E. How did that work out? Hey, Gregor, is there a scenario where a player would permit the team to put them on waivers even while injured? Sam from Vancouver, highly doubtful. No. Because when you go A, the reason why it's not about the player, because then when you go to the team and they claim you and you come in and you take a physical and you fail the physical. Can't do it. Just can't do it. Hey, Gregor, what about Ernie? Is he on the team from Steve? Well, the orders in Ernie's camp have had conversations about a contract, but here's the thing. They can't. Well, they could sign him and send him to minors, but then they'd have to waive him. So they will wait. If they're going to sign him, I would think, and wait until is healthy because then you can put Line on waivers, then you have a roster spot, you just sign Ernie, and you go from there. So he's skating with the team. Now, remember, you've seen guys on PTOs stick around for quite a while. Remember Mr. Kelly a few years ago? Now, he was also going to the Olympics, but he was on a PTO with the orders and skated with them for like two and a half months. So Ernie could do that. I don't see that happening. I think this is something that they hope both sides is rectified. This week, uh, Nima Linen skated today. Uh, I don't expect him to go on the road trip. So now they'll reevaluate him. Ken Holland had mentioned they'd reevaluate him on the weekend. And... If by chance then he's cleared, then they'll put on waivers, and then you could add Adam Ernie. So uh, that's how it sits right about now. Hey, Gregs, congrats on your nephew, Martin. Well, you know what's good news about that, Martin? Thank you. Is the uh, the Leaf games start usually at 5 or 5.30 our time instead of 8.30. So for me, that is a huge win. I can record the game. I get off the show. I come home. Boom. Now, also, we're going to get the big TV in studio so I could watch the game there. Oilers rarely play at 5 o'clock. It's not a conflict. So it, uh, it'll be good. It's a good excuse to uh, go to Toronto because my son has been asking me to go to a Raptors game for a long time. So now I've got a built-in reason to go. Well, we'll go see a Leaf game and a Raptors game. I know there's uh, weekends where they both play at home. So should be fun. Hey, Greg, you're bang on in order for Lavoie to be uh, group six. He has to be at least 25, so he'll be an RFA at the end of this year. Exactly. Thank you. That's what I thought. So, DK, I'm not sure where you uh, thought Lavoie was a free agent. He is not a free agent. He's a restricted free agent. He might be one the following year, but not right now. Let's take a quick break. When we return, Ted... Nolan will uh, join us on the Jason Greger show presented by playalberto.ca. We continue on. Hey, by the way, happy uh, post Thanksgiving. Hope you had a great weekend with the fam. Lots of good food leftovers. Ooh, not much better than a turkey sandwich leftover. Love it. Although uh, a ham sandwich with mustard ranks right up there. Pretty solid. And Hey, nothing better than having uh, the NHL regular season beginning Tonight, Capped off by the banner raising for the Stanley Cup champion, Vegas Golden Knights. And uh, who knows, Order fans, dare to dream. Maybe next year at this time, will be a banner raising ceremony for your club. The Orders are a legit contender. Legit contender. Should be a fun season, uh, no doubt. A little stressful one at times, I'm sure, for Orders fans. But you'd much rather have that than no stress and having a non-competitive team, which you uh, saw for uh, many Many years. Let's get to our big guest of the day now, brought to you by Silent Ice Sports and Entertainment, an innovative market leader across Western Canada with properties including the Spruce Grove Saints, Seattle Thunderbirds, Sound Rods Charter Company, the Hockey Super League, and more. That is Silent Ice. And uh, we are joined. Now, by a gentleman who was the uh, fifth-round draft pick of the Detroit Red Wings back in uh, 1978. Played for the Red Wings and the uh, Penguins as a player briefly in the National Hockey League. Then was a head coach in the NHL for the Sabres, the Islanders, and then the Sabres again. Also, uh, he won uh, a few championships in the OHL, the Quebec Major Junior League. Was a winner of the Jack Adams Award in the NHL for head coach of the year. And now he is an author as uh, his book "Life in Two Worlds: A Coach's Journey from the Reserve to the NHL and Back." Ted Nolan joins us. Ted, welcome to the show. How you doing?
1: Very good, very good. Thank you for having me on,
0: Ted. I appreciate having you on. It's quite the journey. Uh, you know what? Uh, I got a little preview of the book. Haven't read the entire thing, but I got a sneak preview. I'm a big. I love nonfiction. Uh, I just, you know, that's what I like to read about, and, and everybody has a unique journey, and, and yours is, a, is, is very unique. Um, I guess, tell me a little bit about uh, why was the right time for you to write it now.
1: Well, you know what? Uh, I, I never really picked, picked the time. The, the time kind of picked me. Uh, a, a couple of years ago, during the Truth and Reconciliation uh, uh, Week, uh, I did an interview and anyways, we started talking about uh, times growing up and some of the things we went to, and and I, I really got uh, super emotional. I, I couldn't uh, get the words out properly, and uh, but anyways, uh, they called me back. We did a separate uh, interview. We we just talked about all the uh, trials and tribulations we went through as children and what we had to overcome. And and uh, someone from Penguin must have listened to the interview, and uh, a couple weeks later they, they called me and uh, asked me if I'd be interested in writing a writing a book. And at that time. I, I had really no desire to to write one. You know, certain things in your life you want to keep them private. And um, but, anyways, they uh, they talked to me. And at the same time, you know, the incident that happened over the United States with with George Floyd, and I heard a police officer saying, "If, if you're complicit to the problem." Is, uh, to the problem that that's a problem so I, uh so being quiet maybe i i wasn't helping so much i I thought it would be a good time to 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 talk and, and I was just really thankful that penguin thought I had a story worth telling
0: so ted and and I could understand that having to kind of bury your soul a little bit can can be nerve wracking and and also kind of having to relive that right because you got to go back into maybe some things that you didn't want to remember what was if you look back on it, what was the hardest part of your childhood?
1: Probably the, the hardest part, you know, growing up where I grew up, uh, you know, uh, we, we didn't have a whole lot. We, you know, our house lacked electricity for a few years before we got it. And then we had an outdoor pump, an outdoor toilet. And at the, at the time, there wasn't too much uh, food, to, food to eat. So, uh, you know, those times were tough, but we, we made it through. But the, the toughest part of my life came when I, when I left that home and I went to Kenora, Ontario to play Met- with the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. Okay. And that was uh, the, probably the, the most difficult time because my, my father just uh, just recently passed away the uh, year, year and a half before uh, going to someplace you would never been before. First time ever leaving a, the reserve. Okay. And first time ever, ever living in a house that had an indoor toilet and, and a shower. And uh, So it, that was probably the, the most difficult year.
0: You know, it's, and you're, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that Because that's in the 1970s Like mid-70s, correct, when you left?
1: Uh, yes, I, I believe so I think 76, 77, around there Yeah, so really, not, like, not that
0: long ago And I just want to give that for our audience We're, we're not talking about the 1950s here you know, you're, you know, you didn't have running water You didn't have indoor plumbing And then you go to a place And, and some people might say, well, it's great Because it's way better But like, what was the hardest part of the transition for you?
1: The, the, the hardest part uh, has always been not fitting in, like not uh, not belonging. You know, at the time I had long hair. Uh, you know, people looked at at uh, First Nation people a little differently. Trying to make friends at uh, on the hockey team, first of all, was okay. was very difficult. Trying to make friends at the school was even more difficult. And uh, so it's just uh, uh, the game of hockey at that point switched, all of a sudden it, I had such a great time playing it, which, I, which I've always did, then all of a sudden it just came, uh, it, it switched from loving the game to just trying to survive in the game, so, but I, I buckled down, I heard so many stories from our, our elders and our community members and my brothers and sisters, how tough it was when you leave the reserve, and um, I, I just didn't want to quit and, and go back home, so I, I, I somehow found the courage and, uh, and the perseverance to, to fight through that year.
0: Ted Nolan joins us, of course, uh, former NHL Jack Adams Award winner. He has his uh, new book, Life in Two Worlds A Coach's Journey from the Reserve to the NHL and Back. And, you know, Ted, uh, you you write the book. uh, Was was it therapeutic at all for you uh, as you're going through it to to have to deal with some of those uh, memories again and and maybe uh, get over anything that, or at least get over is the wrong word, maybe, uh, you know, to deal with that a little bit more in depth than you maybe had prior?
1: Yeah, you know uh, the the big word now is uh, you know, um, uh, mental illness yeah. and mental trauma and, and all of those. And you know, at at the time, I, I really didn't know uh, know what it was. But I, but I knew when when I went through some real difficult times in in my in my home growing up, where there was a little bit of drinking and fighting. And and I I used to go for a walk or a run. And I and I ran for miles and miles and miles and then i I built a rink in the wintertime, and that was my therapeutic uh, uh, escape okay. and just one of those things and I just kind of so reliving those stories as as you mentioned uh, it was uh, you brought back a lot of memories, uh, a lot of dark memories, uh, and it took me a long time to to, to deal with it. And I'm still kind of speaking to someone now to how to, how to overcome it. You know, you know, people say just get over it. It's, uh, <laughs> it's much easier said than, than done. So I've, I've been slowly, uh, slowly getting there. I feel a thousand percent better than I did uh, even, even three years ago. So uh, dealing with but trying to relive some of those uh, things that you don't really want to relive, especially when you're, when, you're, when you're a young boy. Uh, or a young child going through some of the things, it was very difficult. But uh, I knew it was just a story that had to be told to to hopefully pave the way and, and make it a little bit easier for the next one following.
0: Ted Nolan joins us, and Ted, when you talk about those those young years of your life, and and obviously that must have built up some adversity in you because uh, you were able to persevere. And then you get drafted to the National Hockey League, and you know you play pro hockey in the NHL. Uh, I think I ended up. You know, pro hockey. I think you played for seven or eight seasons. Then you got into coaching, and that's obviously where you had your most success. Uh, very successful in, in the OHL, and then into the National Hockey League. And everybody, you know, lots of people probably remember Ted Nolan. He's up there. He's you know, he's got the speech for the Jack Adams. But then you're not back. Can Can you kind of take us back to the to the summer of 1997, and uh, and and maybe kind of what happened?
1: Well, you yeah, you know what uh, that was the. I think that was a straw that broke, uh, broke the camel's back right there. You know, when you, when you fight through, you know, the Kenora, you, you're fighting with teenage years and, you know, sometimes people don't know any better. And then you're, you're, you're fighting with some uh, opposition with, with sports and some guys calling names and, and you names and you learn to fight through that. And, but when you, but when you fight through it and you work so hard in order to get somewhere and, and you're proud, I mean, I was a very proud man and, you know, first of all, you know uh, growing up on unreserved and my skates were really big and going through recreation hockey, I never really played triple a and double a and going to hockey schools and yet I made it to the national hockey League and then i I made it back as as a coach and i was so I, I was just so so proud and then all of a sudden uh you know, I didn't get along with with management very well um, at the time, and uh, the rumors started flying that I was drinking at practice, I was drunk at practice, and uh, I was lazy, and all those type of typical statements that uh, you hear about our people our whole lives. And and then when they didn't renew my contract and let me go, and made up excuses why why they wouldn't bring me back, that was uh, that was. Uh, the pivotal point in my life, I I I just broke down. I just, uh, I couldn't believe because I've always felt, I had strong faith that uh, if you worked hard and if you and if you proved yourself, eventually you'll get to where you can get to. And, and here I was, I just won the Jack Adams uh, uh, coming from Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds where we went to the three consecutive Memorial Cups and, and proven that I belonged and all of a sudden it wasn't there, not getting any interviews and I tell you it just uh it hit me it put me down that that dark road that um, uh thank god uh, thank god I, got, I i got through it,
0: so Ted, when you look back on it um do you feel that, because you're the reigning Jack Adams, so if Buffalo doesn't sign you, you'd think there'd be other teams. Like, Was, was there like, a, did you get blackballed? Did you feel it all kind of, you know, what did you hear from people? Maybe not at that point, but now years later, because eventually a decade later you got back into the NHL, but did you ever kind of hear from people as to what went on, as to why no one, like the phone wasn't ringing despite your success?
1: Well, you know, grew up the back I, I wrote it in the book, and people will, will see. I, I did get an offer to coach uh, back in the NHL. Okay. I think, uh Later that summer, uh, my old friend uh, Phil Esposito called me. Okay. Uh, who hired? Who happened to hire me with the St. Marie Greyhounds? And he was with Tampa Bay at the time. And and I, I tell you, I I was thrilled. I would have, I would have walk down there at that time, but then I went home and we talked about it, and take my two young boys from northern Ontario, where hockey was uh, the number one thing, and they're in school, and bring them down to Tampa Bay. It was just a, a tough family family uh, issue. So I called them up and declined, uh, you know uh, regret, regretfully just said, you know, Philip, I I can't take my family down, and okay. I, I just thought the next one would come. Unfortunately, it was a big uh, miscalculation on my part because the next one didn't come so that was a, that was a, that was a hard part but I thought for sure uh someone would come and uh then you'll read in a book uh then some of the the rumors started uh, flying with the kind of guy that they assumed I was uh and one of the one of the guys working in the league his his general manager so he called me up one day and said, "Ten, what's going on?" And uh, said, so I heard you're drunk at practice. I'm going, what? <laughs> and, anyways, those type of things kept flying at me, and I didn't know where they were coming from. And so I, I asked him if he, would be, uh, uh, if, he would, if he would speak. And at the time, he was working in the league. He didn't want to say anything because it might jeopardize his position. So I just let it go. Uh, and then, fast forward, you know. And 20 years later, I called him up again and see if he would, re, uh, if he would say what he heard. And uh, he was kind enough to do it. So, it. so it's in the book how some of this stuff started.
0: Ted Nolan uh, joins us, uh, of course. Uh, Ted, one of the rumors that I had heard and, you know, far was that, you know, you and management in Buffalo didn't get along. And, uh, you know, some people, the one of the rumors was that you had tried to, you know, go behind John Muckler's back. Um could you kind of explain what went on with you and management in Buffalo?
1: yeah you know that was the, that was the hardest part. You know, I was a young young kid just coming up from from junior hockey, just trying to find my way in in the league. And for me to try to overstep a a, go, a, a guy like John's uh, pedigree and what he's done in hockey, you know, what he did up in Edmonton, and uh, for a young coach to come in and, and uh, do that—that that was that was totally. Uh, misunderstood. Be, obviously, we, we had some disagreements on, on certain players. Uh, I'm kind of a uh, a blue-collar guy, and you like those type of guys because, you know, uh, you you don't win with just star players. It, 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 never, it never works. Uh, you have to win with a team, and I really wanted to do that team approach, and he wanted me to do certain things. So we just... Uh, uh, we agreed to disagree, and that, that was about it. Uh, so it was just kind of a, a big thing. that got blown out of proportion a lot. And, okay. uh, so uh, that was that was about it on that side.
0: Ted Nolan uh, joins us, of course, uh, former uh, Jack Adams. Award winner, he's the author of his book, Life in Two Worlds, A Coach's Journey from the Reserve to the NHL and Back. And I think that's kind of the key part, Ted. So you, you leave in, in the summer of 1997. You turn down the job with the Tampa Bay Lightning, thinking the next one's coming. Well, it didn't come, and you didn't really coach again until 2005 and 6 with the, uh, the Moncton Wildcats in the Quebec Major Junior League, and you coach there one season, and all you do is you win a championship. Uh, so uh, pretty good, and then that led you to the, uh, the New York Islanders the following season in 6 07. so basically a full decade out. In that time, you, you were coaching minor hockey, were you not, though, like below the, the Quebec Major Junior League, kind of keeping yourself involved, and then how did the Quebec job come about?
1: Uh, you know, I, I wasn't doing anything in, in hockey. By I, I, when I had that uh, the dark moment at the beginning of the book where I kicked the uh, trophy down the stairs, I was you know I was angry. You know, now what I what I've done things differently certainly, but uh, at the time I was very angry and and I didn't want anything to do with hockey ever again. So I, I just kind of quietly I helped my sons out in practice and and what have you. But uh, as far as working in the game, uh, I I totally walked away. I didn't want anything to do with it. Uh, and then one night, uh, I'm sitting down, and I get a call from Mr. Robert Irving, who owned the the Wildcats. And he called and uh, you know, this was 10 years after. I, I'd never coached a, a day in my life, and I didn't even know if I had had it in me to, to do it again. And he asked if I'd be interested in going to coach his team. And uh, I told my wife uh, I got a call from Robert, but I was more intrigued on meeting with Mr. Irving than, than coaching his team. So I, I went and met with him. And uh, I called her up in about a uh, half hour after the meeting was done. I said, we're going to Moncton. Uh, that was the, the first time in my entire life hmm. in all of hockey that uh, I felt wanted. He wanted me to be a part of his, his team. And, and I was so excited just to, to go to Moncton and halfway through the year, I get a call from the Islanders, uh, you know, 30 games in and they want me to come coach the New York Islanders. But uh uh, I made a commitment to, to the Monkton Wildcats for the entire year, uh, not part-time. And uh, so I turned it down. And what they told me at the time, said, so, well, this offer might not be there at the end of the year, so uh, so be it, but I couldn't uh, go in them for two months and, and leave. So, and thank God, at the end of the year, Charles Wong uh, called me up and asked if I'd be interested, and, and that's how I got back to the NHL.
0: So, Ted, what message would you have? Because you were in the NHL for a few years and you're out for a decade, then you come back uh, 2007, 2008, then you're out again for another, I think, five years and you come back in 14 and 15. So you'd, you'd have a few stints where you're in and out, but you, you kept grinding, you always kind of kept focused on wanting to get back. What do you think made you you know, a good NHL coach and, and what advice would you have for people when they're trying to overcome adversity?
1: To, to me, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say coaching is easy, but for me, it, it came easy. Uh, I just loved, I just loved coaching. Uh, now, playing the game is a lot, is a lot harder uh, <laughs> cause I, I didn't know how to bend my knees properly. I couldn't, I didn't have the best vision in my life. I, I couldn't anticipate things very well. So those are the type of things I had to, had to work on as, a, as a player. Okay. but as a coach, uh, I just put myself in, a, in a position that, what would I want as, as a player? Uh, I certainly wouldn't want uh, people to treat me the way I got treated. And if, uh, if someone put me out to fight, I mean, who, who does that? But uh, at the time, people do, did. And I would never put a person in that position. I would also never uh, yell at a at a guy in the third line, fourth line, who made a mistake uh, because everybody makes mistakes. But they never yell and scream at the second and first line guys who make mistakes. And I always found that interesting as a player. And because uh, coming where I came from, I didn't know how the system worked. And I played with some pretty good players. And every time they went, they turned the puck over just like everybody else. But the coach never never, never yelled at them, never benched them. I always had him on the back and said, get them next time. But a, a third, fourth line guy went out and did the same thing. Boy, oh boy, he'd be on the, on the bench and might even be sent down to the minors within a very short period of time. So I didn't want to be one of those guys. I wanted to make sure that because I strongly believe, as my family believed, uh, we're, we're, uh, we're a family of 12. And it wasn't, wasn't Ted's family. It wasn't Rick's family. It was our family. And, and together we, we persevered. And, and so I took that same approach into, into hockey that uh, you're not going to win with uh, a, a pretty good first line, pretty good second line, and, and third and fourth line. You guys just fill in. No, it takes the entire team uh, to win. And uh, so that was, that was my approach to the, to the game.
0: Ted, uh, before I let you go, I I know you've done a a massive amount of work for the indigenous community over the years. And I I think this book, um, I know I I haven't seen you. uh, We we met, uh, well, face to face a few years ago. But uh, I remember a conversation we had and you talked about like the importance of community. And, you know, something like this book, I have to think, is more about the indigenous community. That is like your story is your indigenous person. So it's about you. But you kind of look at this as something that can be more worthwhile to the community.
1: No, no question. I mean, it's just uh, you know, for everyone like myself who managed to, to 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 fight through some very very difficult times, and persevere through those times. And at times, I I, I didn't want to to do what I did, but I uh, I felt that I needed to 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 pave the way for the next one in line, so it wouldn't be as difficult. So so writing this book, I just really wanted to get a um, you know. Uh, everybody deserves to be treated equally, uh, you know whether uh, whether the color of your skin whether you 're brown black, or white it really doesn 't matter or, or economic background where you 're from it doesn 't really matter. Everybody deserves respect and, and an opportunity and and that 's all everybody wants in life but when you when you look at something because they look a little bit different something 's wrong with the, with the system, so I just really wanted to to speak up and and to make sure that uh, people are a little bit more aware. That we're aware when that happens,
0: Ted. Uh, I look forward to reading the entire book. I really appreciate your time. For anybody out there who's uh, who's looking for a great nonfiction book, uh, "Life in Two Worlds: A Coach's Journey from the Reserve to the NHL and Back" by Ted Nolan. Ted, thanks so much for your time.
1: Oh,
0: thank you very Thank you very much for having me on. That is uh, Ted Nolan. I'm looking forward. Now, I've uh, I got a little sneak preview of the book. And uh, it definitely interests me to want to read it. That's why we got uh, uh, Ted on the show. He's got a unique, uh, unique journey. And I'm curious about the book because obviously there's, you know, living on it. You think about it and what he had to endure. He talked about poverty, uh, not having food, you know, not having basic plumbing in their household. And then coming off the reserve and trying to feel normal. In society, you know, in, in a different hockey rink and different things like that. And, and he made his way, hey, he made his way all the way to the NHL, pretty successful as a player, then as a coach. And then he mentioned it uh, after uh, Buffalo, it kind of just went into a real dark place for a long time. Managed to come out the other side. And I think that's the message of a lot of people, because I don't care if you're white, you're black, uh, you're brown, but, you know, indigenous, you're Asian, other commanders, whether you're you know, heterosexual, homosexual, it's irrelevant at this point. Um, there's lots of people that at times get into a dark place. And sometimes it can be inspiring to read someone and how they were able to get out of the darkness back into the light. So check it out if you uh, like sports. Um, you know, Ted uh, definitely wanted to address some of the rumors about him. Imagine somebody spreading the rumor oh, well, he's indigenous, so he's drinking on the job. It's pretty sad. Let's take a quick break. When we return, DVD will join us as the NHL season begins today. The order's, of course, tomorrow in Vancouver. Also, the Calgary and the Jets. There's lots of storyline topics. What about the Jets? We haven't talked about the Jets. Hellebuck and Shifley locked in. Man, that is huge for that organization. We'll get to all of it when we return on The Gregor Show. Presented by PlayAlberta.ca live in the Ewell studio. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 248. Guys, great interview with Mr. Nolan. What he went through is exactly why we need days of reconciliation. Also, uh, First Nations Jersey night and pride nights. Discrimination is still part of the game. Hockey and society. That one comes in from Lance. Guys, awesome interview. Always a fan of his. Good on him we finding the positive norm in a combine. Hopefully the combine is going well, Normie. Hopefully everything's going good. Uh, let's get to the oil report brought to you by Volvo of Edmonton. And uh, right now, if you need a new demo or certified pre-owned Volvo, get it now with only 1.49% financing. Great deal. Highly recommend The XC90. It has all the bells and whistles, baby. It is so comfortable. I love it. VolvoWebbington.com. As we uh, welcome in Derek Vandese from NHL.com. Joining us, of course, uh, he is the... uh, I guess the Western Scribe because Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. So uh, he'll be in Calgary tomorrow covering the uh, Jets and the Flames, and then in Edmonton on Saturday covering the Orders and the Vancouver Canucks. Also, uh, the Chris Snow funeral uh, in between there as well. Uh, DVD. I guess let's start with the Jets. Huge news. Not many people saw this coming, but Shifley and Hellebuck locked up eight years or seven years each at uh, eight point five million bucks. That's a uh, you know that's a big move for that organization
2: two of them yeah that's a big coup for that organization definitely because you're right they're both going to be unrestricted free agents they're both there's a there's a market for both of them they're both 30 years old so there's a market for both of them uh halibut's one of the best goalies in the league he won the vesna trophy in 2020 so uh yeah there was an uncertainty there with the winnipeg jets whether or not they would have to trade them at some point this season uh, or, you know, risk them walking away at the end of the year. So to get them both, and they got them both at the exact same price point uh, is, is, a, is a big coup. Now, it's a big contract. It's, it's a you know, $59.5 million contract for both. So it's about eight and a half years for both of them for seven years. So you're paying these guys until they're both going to be 37 years old. But it really kind of shows that the, the window, the Jets believe that their window is still open. They need these two guys to kind of be uh, Stanley Cup competitors. They've kind of revamped their team a little bit by trading Pierre-Luc Dubois and and they bought out uh, Blake Wheeler's contract. So they're a bit of a new look, but yeah, this is a big coup for them. And just just listening in on to that press conference today, they wanted to be part of this Jets team. They they think they have something special here. Uh, They love the organization. They love the city. They love the fans. And so uh, they just figured, hey – if we can get this contract here in Winnipeg, there's no need to go looking somewhere else this summer.
0: Yeah, I think it's huge for the Jets organization, right? you got Connor, you, you've got um, Morrissey, uh, Shifley, uh, Hellebuck, uh, Nikolai Ehlers, you know, they just acquired Velardi and all them. So they got some pieces. The problem is I'm not sure the Jets, like, now I guess if Hellebuck stands on his head, to me, I think they got to improve their back end. But do you see the Jets as a, as a playoff team this year?
2: I do in a sense that I, I don't think the central division is that particularly strong to be nope, honest. I think are. that there's a, there's a lot of up for grabs in that division. Um, I, I know a lot of people, you know, they think the Minnesota Wild are going to be good. The Chicago Blackhawks are going to be good. I just, I'm not a big fan of that division. I don't like, you know, it's, it's it's been a while since a really good team has come out of there. So I think the Winnipeg Jets can be the best team in that division. They can win a lot of those divisional games. And I do like how they're a bit more well-rounded this season than they were. Maybe last year they were a little top-heavy in their top six, and they didn't have much underneath. Now getting Velarde and getting those guys in that trade really kind of balances it out. So now they can be a four-line team and really come at you with four-line teams. And when you have a goalie like Connor Halibut, you don't need to have a great defense in front of you. Morris, he took that. Step last year, he became an offensive defenseman, and see if he can keep doing it this year. Uh, but I do, le- I do like some pieces there, and I think they have some very good depth, some very good young players kind of breaking down the door. And I like what Winnipeg's done; they've done such a great job of drafting and developing Jason. That's how you do it. You, all their guys, they don't go out and get a lot of free agents because let's face it, not a lot of guys want to go to Winnipeg. It's not a big destination. But if they draft well, develop well, and and, and really kind of treat their players really well. Uh, they'll want to stay, and, and you see that not a lot of guys bail from Winnipeg. If the guys that bail are the guys that they traded, brought in, and they want out. But the guys that they've kind of developed and drafted and, and and gone through there, those are the that core that core group really wants to stay, and they want to do something, they want to win in Winnipeg because Winnipeg has a rabid fan base, just like Edmonton does, and and uh, it's pretty fun there in the playoffs.
0: Derek Van Deese from NHL.com dot com joins us. Uh, Derek, let's start with the we'll stick with the Flames because that's who who they're playing tomorrow. What do you make of this Flames team this season? Uh, they missed the playoffs by two points. They had 17 overtime slash shootout losses last year. Markstrom had a terrible year when you look at his save percentage and such. Like, there's lots of reasons to think Calgary can be improved. Do you think they will be?
2: Oh, Bush, I think they will be because, you know, you look at that, Markstrom had a terrible year. Huberto had a terrible year. Kadri had a bad year. They all hated the coach, right? Everyone wanted out of there. At uh, point last year and they still only missed the playoffs by two points in a very tough Pacific division so i think huberto is not going to have as bad years. he went from 100 points to 50 like that's an awful first year so he's going to be better he's going to be in the 80 85 point range i believe Kaji's going to be better this season uh Markstrom's going to be better so they're going to be better they still got some good pieces there so they're not that far off it's like they, you look at how disastrous some of those individual players were last year in their individual seasons. And they only missed the playoffs by two points. Remember they went into that Winnipeg and there was that big game against Winnipeg winner got into the playoffs essentially. And Winnipeg was able to pull that game out. So uh, I think they're going to be competitive. They're going to be right there. And, and, and it's going to count on Hubert and Padre and, and guys like that uh, to really kind of, uh, Get it back together. So, but I think uh, the Flames are going to be a good team, and that's why I really believe this Pacific Division is going to be a really, really good division because the Flames are up and coming. Uh, I think the Kings are up and coming. You got the Vegas Golden Knights still there. You got the Oilers still there. Uh, it's going to be a lot of really solid competition in that Pacific division
0: this season. Oh yeah. And the orders of course, for the fifth consecutive season will be uh, playing against Vancouver to start their season. This one though, on the road, the last four years have been uh, opened in Edmonton and the uh, Canucks uh, Garland. uh, Now it came out public today that he's asked uh, for a trade, but supposedly, uh, um, you know, he was on the trade market all summer. He had asked for that trade. So uh, they haven't been able to find any suitors. So that's not a great start for a team trying to avoid any sort of, um, negativity around them then you throw and they got a little bit of a flu bug here uh, according to their gm in the press conference today uh, the orders could get off to a good start and uh interesting dvd today the power play was practicing alone for the first bit uh, on the uh, practice ice and then came and joined the regular squad because they go up against the vancouver team that's been terrible on the penalty kill lately like you might be able to win the first two games just strictly on your power play early on <laughs>
2: Pretty much, yeah. No, it's funny. I saw that. I was walking into the rink. I got here just just before 11, and, and the guys, uh, there's five guys coming from the community rink and heading over to the main rink. So, yeah, it looked like they were working on their power play. But that power play, the owners, again, it's going to be up there in the 30% area. They, they're they basically going to score one out of every three opportunities. And, and yeah, Vancouver just, to me, they're kind of rudderless right now. They don't know if they're coming or going. Uh, you know, they got, uh, obviously, a world-class partner, Hughes, on the back end. They got Peterson up front. They got a decent goalie, you know, who's coming off a a so-so season. So they have some pieces there. Um, Obviously, Rick Talker wants to mold this team into kind of the way he played, hard-nosed, rough, hard-nosed player. But I just don't know if the Canucks are there. I don't know if they're that kind of team. Uh, So I think they're kind of just in in between here right now. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I think they want to be a harder-working team. They want to be a tougher team to play against. Um, and and they might be, I don't know, but their two best players are not rough and tumble guys. Their two best players are very skilled players. So you you look at this, you're trying to peg them into round like, you know, have round uh, round pegs in square holes. I, maybe that's what they're trying to do. Is talk at the guy to do it? I don't know. He just he's a very fiery coach. He's got uh, you know he's he's got different methods of doing things. But uh, you know, I spoke to Quinn Hughes at the, at the NHL player. Uh, player tour in Vegas earlier this year. He he really likes what Taka brings to the table, and and we'll see we'll see if that's not successful. We, a coach that yells and screams in his heart and is hard on his players sometimes that can get old really quick, especially on teams that are struggling.
0: Ryan McLeod we know is in tomorrow. Do you think Kulak and Ekholm are both playing as well?
2: I don't think Ekholm is playing. I really don't. I just think that they're going to take their time with him. Um, you know, he's, he's 33 years old. He's got hip issues. Um, you, you don't need him at the beginning of the year. You want him at the end of the year. So if you had, like, 60 games to choose from, you take the last 60. He's You know, the owners are hoping to play over 100 games this season with playoffs and, and things like that. So you want him towards that end of that season. So I think if that hit bothers him in any way, if it flares up in any way, um, I think they'll, th- they'll be cautious of him. He hasn't played at all. So I, I think they'll probably want him to practice a little bit more. Uh, before he gets in the lineup, because last thing you want is him to go in there. Oh, the hip flared up. He's out for another two weeks type thing. Um, this is the thing he said that he thought he'd be ready a lot earlier in camp. He's never had it before. Kind of said the training methods were a little different this offseason than they were when he it was in Nashville. So maybe that kind of tweaked something. Uh, but I don't think he'll play it. I don't think there's a rush to get him yeah. in. I think they're really gonna you know you, with his, with his age and his experience. You're gonna take your time and the owners are gonna win, let's face They're gonna win early games. They're gonna score a lot of goals early on. It's it's when the games get tight towards the end of the season is, is that's when you, you really need a guy like Mateus Effholm. So you're gonna pick the sixty games he's gonna play. They're
0: probably going to do it towards the end of the season. So they'll go 11-6 and because they don't have any other option. They can't bring anybody else up. And then uh, if they wanted, they could use the emergency recall on uh, on Saturday if uh, he's not ready yet. And uh, they could uh, uh, maybe just sign Adam Ernie by then and uh, just put him on the roster as the 12th forward. Uh, I think that's probably more likely than uh, recalling Lavoie at this point, to be honest. So we'll see how it goes. DVD, uh, have a good trip to Calgary. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next week. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. That's uh, Derek Van from NHL.com. So, uh, Eckholm, like he was on the ice, but uh, you know, it was funny because even last week, he'd, Ryan McLeod said, Oh, I'm playing. But uh, Ekholm said, Hey, I'd like to, but I can't 100% guarantee it. So, I think he's being cautious about it. So, we will uh, see if he's in. If he isn't, then you'd have a Kulak, CC, Nurse, Bouchard. Broberg and DeHarnay. Would they just put uh, CC with Kulak like they did in the preseason and have uh, Broberg and DeHarnay as your third pair? And I think they could. And then you play Nurse with Bouchard. We know what the top lines are going to be up front. It's McDavid with Kane and Brown. Dry with Nugent Hopkins and Hyman. McLeod with Fogel and Holloway. And then Janmark and Ryan are your tenth and eleventh forwards. So the uh, orders uh, one game could go eleven and six. You know, it's not going to impact the forwards and the defensemen are used to playing six, so it's not. It's not a huge issue, but you don't want it to linger. That's the key. Also, we'll update you on uh, Sam Gagne and some uh, other things, Marcus Niemelainen, and more. But first, we're going to get to a Brandon Douglas Sports Center update brought to you by BIE Engineering, specializing all your residential, commercial, and industrial structural engineering needs. Go to bieeng.com.